So let me tell you a little bit of something about myself. Um, I have a hard time throwing things away. So for some reason, I just get it in my mind, like, I have, like, cords and a bunch of cables and, like, this big bin in my garage. And for some reason, I just picture in my mind, like, one of my friends coming over and we're having a conversation. He's like, man, I really, I'm like, if I just had, like, an RCA cable, like, that would just be so amazing. And I'm like, did you say RCA cable? And then I just go out to my garage and I, like, save the day and I bring him, like, here you go, man. Or, like, you know, I just think of different cables or different tools and screw. I, I, that's the other thing. Like I have a bin of screws that are just random from things that I probably didn't even put together, right? I had leftover screws. And I'm like, one day I'm going to be looking for a particular size screw. And I'm just, instead of going to the store to buy it for 38 cents or less than that, I'm going to have it in my garage and I'm not going to have to take the time to go drive. And I just have this like mentality and is anybody else like that or is it just me i'm not a hoarder at all like i'm literally not a hoarder i just picture like these situations where i'm like i'll have it if you need it man just like just ask me because i probably have it in my garage and that's how my grandfather was too is like wait a second my dad was like that too oh gosh um but anyway so so my wife tells me last week she says all right, we're going to do something this week. We're kind of talking about what we had going on this past week. And she's like, and don't forget, we have to like, we're having a garage sale on Saturday. So we have to go through your closet and start and get rid of some of your clothes. And that just creates this anxiety in me. I don't know why, but um, I just, I have clothes that I've had forever and ever. I probably don't even wear them. But we were going through this, and of course my wife's making me feel like I'm holding on to these things that are like trash or whatever. But um, she said something that was really, it kind of made sense. So she pulls out these two shirts that I had from Easter 2003 and Easter 2000. And um, she holds them up, and I was like, well, like, what if we have a pastel purple party and I need to wear a pastel purple shirt or something. Or what if someone needs to borrow a yellow dress shirt or something? And so anyway, she goes, so if somebody came up to you and said, hey, man, these are free. Do you want these? You would probably say, nah, no, thank you. And she's right. I would. But she's like, but you're keeping them in your closet for some random reason. And it really made a whole lot of sense because... If somebody offered it to me, I wouldn't take it, but yet I was willing to keep it. Man, y'all aren't ready to hear the word of God today, are you? Are y'all ready for me to preach? Listen, if somebody would have offered it to me, I would have said no. But yet, it's sitting in my closet. And I started thinking, what if the things that we hold on to in our lives, if somebody were to offer them to us, we wouldn't take them, but for some reason we hold on to them in our own lives. I mean, if somebody came up to me and said, here you go, here's some fear. You want some fear? You wouldn't take it. If somebody offered me anxiety, I wouldn't take it. If somebody offered me greed, I wouldn't take it. Those are all things I wouldn't take if somebody offered it to me. But yet, I live life and try to live life with those things sitting in my closet. Does that make sense? See, we all have those things. We all have these old clothes from the 80s, as my son says, 
sitting in our closet and their old thought patterns, their old habits, their things that we've just believed this is just the way things are supposed to be and not willing for change, not willing to part with the things that we've held on to for so long. For whatever reason, we've held on to them for so long. And I believe that in order to get to the place that God wants you to get to, in order to receive the things that God wants you to receive, in order to have the life that God promised, we have to let go of some things. We have to let go some of those things. And, and those things sometimes can be so often overlooked, so easily overlooked, because they're not an obvious thing. It's not an obvious setback. It's not an obvious thought pattern. It's not an obvious way of thinking or, or, or habit or mentality. So we can often overlook that. But you know what? I feel like I want to be a church that's real. I want to be a church that, that follows God's truth even if, it, even if we don't like it, even if we don't like to dig up those places and get all the way to the back of our closets, even if it's hard, even if it's hard to, live, to do the right thing, even if it's something we don't agree with. I mean, I don't always agree with everything in the Bible. Not very many pastors will admit that, but, you know, sometimes my prayer is, Dear Jesus... I don't agree. Amen. It doesn't mean it's not true. It doesn't mean it's not right. But sometimes I just it's hard to it's hard to it's hard to agree with those things because we have this flesh, we have this mentality, we have these way of thinking, you know, and it's sometimes it's hard. But is it okay if we just are real as a church? Is it okay if even if we don't agree, sometimes that doesn't mean it's not the right thing, right? And I want to talk about a story in the Bible in Luke chapter 10 where Jesus finishes telling the people about the cost of following him. He tells them he just finished talking about what, it, what does it really cost to be a follower of Jesus? What does that look like? And Jesus gets interrupted in this, in this story, and he gets asked a question. And in Luke chapter 10, uh, verse 25, it says, On one occasion, an expert in the law... So this was somebody who the law that it's talking about is the law of Moses, the, the Ten Commandments and things like that. This person studied them, knew them. They were an expert. They were probably one of the teachers of the law. And so they knew the law. So they, they stood up to test Jesus. Now, when somebody is going to test Jesus, you know something's about to go down. You know it's going to be a cool paradigm shift. So he asks, what must I do to inherit so I want you to think about, the, there's two key words in this, in this question. What must I do, do is the first one, to inherit eternal life? So first of all, if you think about just that question alone, semantically, it doesn't make sense. Because it says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So do and inheritance shouldn't belong in the same sentence. Because if you know anything about an inheritance, if you leave somebody something as an inheritance, do they have to do anything to get that? No, because you left it for them. An inheritance doesn't require doing. So the sentence right off the bat was a bad question. Everyone say bad question. I know you hear it all the time that there's no bad questions. This was a bad question. So Jesus could have ignored him and just you know, just kind of moved on and, and didn't say anything. Uh, I mean, I would have just pretended not to even hear the question. 
Jesus could have rolled his eyes like my wife does at me when I ask a silly question, but he didn't. See, a lot of times Jesus, what he does kind of cool, he, he answers a question when he's asked a question. He answers a question with a question. He does it a lot, and he flips the script on him, and he says, verse 26, well, what is written in the law? So he tells him, you're an expert in the law. What's written in the law? And he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus replied, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So Jesus was basically saying, if you could do that perfectly, if you could love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and you can love every your you can love your neighbor as yourself, yeah, you'll get it. You'll get eternal life. But he knows that we can't do that perfectly. I mean, Jesus is saying if you could love your spouse perfectly, if you could love your children, whoever, your parents, your enemies, your siblings, your boss, if you could love those people perfectly, yeah, then you can get in. But he knew that the law is actually what reminds us that we need a Savior. The law is actually what reminds us that we need Jesus, because none of us can do that. So Jesus is saying, if you want to play that game, if you want to play the, I need to do something to inherit the kingdom of God, here you go, I'll start playing, I'll play with you. There it is. That's, that's what you have to do to inherit the kingdom of God. That's what you have to do to get to heaven. Verse 30, in reply, Jesus said, he tells a story now. He says, suppose a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by robbers. They strip him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. So kind of a little bit of history. So Jerusalem and Jericho is where this guy was going, from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jerusalem is in like a very mountainous area. It was up. It's about maybe 2,000 feet above sea level. And from Jerusalem to Jericho, which was about 17 miles-ish, and there's a lot of, like, turns and caves and places where people could hide that would make it an easy place to be attacked, an easy place to be robbed. Jericho is about 800 feet below sea level. So you got to figure, so this was a very steep kind of, like, scary, you, you didn't want to be on this place alone. You didn't want to be on that path alone, in other words. It was a scary place because that's where people liked to rob people, and, and um, it was a very scary place. And verse 31 says, a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So a priest is somebody who is a teacher, who is a religious person, who actually gets paid to do, this is their profession, this is their career, they get paid to help people. You follow me? This is their job. Their job is to be a priest. Yet this priest, instead, he just didn't, it's not even that he just walked by. He literally took it upon himself to go on the other side. It says, a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. 32, so to a Levite, 
when he came to that place, saw him and passed by on the other side. A Levite is a religious person, but they don't get paid to do it. So this is somebody who has a different career, whether they're a tax collector or doctor or something else, and they are still very religious. They're still very involved in the church, in the temple, and that's a Levite. This Levite still passed by on the other side. So Jesus is pointing out something very, very important, I think, He's saying, you know, they were coming from Jerusalem to Jericho. They were on that same path. So we all know in Jerusalem is where the, the temple was. So that was where the church services, I guess, if you will, were held. So these guys were on their way from church back to Jericho. They just finished worshiping God and telling God, I love you. This is how much you mean to me. Yet they both walked right by this guy who was hurt, who was half dead, as Jesus said. They were so religious that they made this 34-mile round-trip walk to go to church. I don't know anybody else who would walk 34 miles round-trip to go to church. These guys walked 34 miles to go to church, but they couldn't stop and help this guy who was in need. See, they went to sing songs about how much they loved God, but they couldn't stop and help this man. And I'm not saying there's churches like there, out there like this today, but God forbid we come... We become a church that prays up in here, but isn't willing to let our uh, practice what we preach out, outside of these walls. Practice what we preach. You know, why would we come in here and sing about how God loves us and walk right by somebody who's hurting, somebody who needs us to show them mercy? Verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And a Samaritan is somebody who is basically half Jewish. So several years before that, when, when Israel was invaded by the northern kingdom, they, these people were of different races and religions, and they, they basically got married to the Jewish people, and their children were considered Samaritans. So they were half Jewish. And there was this hate between the people who were full Jewish and the Samaritans. So they hated them because they didn't consider them real Jewish people. So it was a very racist relationship. And when he saw him, the Samaritan, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave him to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied. So now, so Jesus is answering this guy's question. The guy asked him, well, who is my neighbor? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And that's the message that I want to say. I want to talk about that for just a few minutes. Because mercy is the way that we show others what God has done for us. Mercy is the way that we show others what God has done for us. Think about that. Has God ever shown you mercy? Have you ever been in a situation where you're like, man, I could have died that night, and God showed me mercy. I'm still alive. I'm still here. Has God ever turned his back on you? Has God ever not gave you what you deserve? And that would be all of us if you believe the Bible, because the Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of his glory. The Bible also says the wages of sin is death, right? So we all aren't receiving what we actually deserve. And remember this, so th 
if you need something to write down, because I know you guys are probably waiting to write something down, it said, the amount of mercy that you give someone is going to directly reflect your understanding of the amount of grace God is giving you. The amount of mercy that you give to somebody will reflect your understanding of the amount of grace God has given you. See, I give mercy because I know that I'm, I'm messed up. And God still lets me do this every day. God still shows me that he loves me, even as crazy as I am. Even the times that I come short, even the times where I turn my back on God, he doesn't leave me. He doesn't walk away from me. So this guy is basically asking Jesus, who is my neighbor? Yes, I can love God with all my heart, but who is my neighbor? It's like he's trying to ask Jesus, what is, what's my neighbor radius? You know, it's like, how big is this circle of, of my neighbor? And, you know, when we do with the business, we do social media marketing, and you can, you can get a post, and you can, uh, when you're going to push it out, there's several, I mean, several filters that you can go through from age, male, female, married, uh, recent site visits to zip code to, I mean, there's several filters, and you can go through, and it will either expand or it'll make smaller the amount of people that that post is going to hit. And that's what this guy's doing. He's trying to say, Jesus, who is my neighbor? I mean, really, is it, is it my neighbor next door, like who lives next to me? Is it my family? Is it the people that, that I'm good with? Who is it? Who is my neighbor? When you say love your neighbor as yourself, who are you talking about? And the truth that Jesus is trying to teach us and the truth that I want us to grab a hold of is that, sh that circle, that radius circle, should constantly be growing. It shouldn't be just, this is what I mean, and, and that's it. You know, it's like this rug. It's like, anyone that comes within this circle is my neighbor. Anyone outside, it doesn't count. And that's, that's precisely what Jesus is not trying to teach. He's trying to teach that this radius should constantly be growing because it's directly tied with your understanding of how much God loves you and how much God has done for you. So if you're understanding more of what God's done for you and you're, you're coming into more understanding, wow, I really am jacked up and God still loves me. And you understand that the more you realize that, the more you're like, well, you know, I can't do that to somebody else. I can't turn my back on somebody else. I can't just let them fall by the wayside because I know how much God has done for me. Because hopefully your knowledge about who God is and what he's done for you is continuing to grow. And then the amount of mercy you're willing to extend will also grow. That radius will get bigger. Because if that radius isn't getting bigger, then there's a bigger question that we need to ask. Because it's not just about who is my neighbor. It's about do you understand what God has done for you? See, I've seen the craziest amount of mercy. I mean, I've seen different ways this has played out in people's everyday life. I mean, my aunt, for instance, she had, she was sexually abused growing up by this same man and, and mentally abused, and she was totally just, this, this man just abused her and constantly was just not a nice person. Wound up ending up going to prison for several years for uh, sexual abuse, and he was... I don't even know how old he was, but she kept trying. She felt like because God had shown her so much mercy, she wanted to extend that mercy to this guy. It was her stepfather. And she tried several times to try to go see him in jail. 
kept getting denied, kept getting denied. Finally, when he went to a half, he was on parole and went to a halfway house, she got a chance to go see him, and she actually wanted to, at, to talk to him, and she actually flew on a plane. It was, you know, several thousand miles away in her hometown and was able to extend mercy to him, pray for him, and be there and talk with him. And that was the kind of the extreme of mercy that I've seen, like a big deal. And it was, it was simply for the fact that she knew all God had done for her. So how could she hold back mercy from this guy who abused her her whole entire life? She needed to extend this mercy too. And I'm not saying that each one of you should do the same thing. But I'm saying if you're not willing to be radically merciful to other people, or you're constantly looking for the line of how big is my neighbor radius, then I think you're missing the point. Because when you realize God's love, grace, and forgiveness, how can you not have mercy on somebody? Because it's, it's demonstrated by what you're willing to do for the people in your life. It may not be you going to visit somebody in jail, but maybe it's a text that you need to send out. Maybe it's a phone call that you need to make. Maybe it's an apology. Maybe it's a response. Maybe it's forgiving somebody. Maybe it's doing something nice for somebody who really doesn't deserve it. I know I don't deserve the things that God gives me. Who am I talking about in your life? Because I know somebody popped in your mind as I was talking, and that's who I'm talking about. Whoever popped in your mind when I said, maybe it's a phone call, maybe it's a text, maybe it's an apology, who do you need to extend mercy to? It's the person you started thinking about in that moment. Everyone go ahead and stand. Where, where, is that, where is that radius for you in your own life? How big is that neighbor radius? Who is it? And what are you willing to do? Who does that include? Who does that exclude? See, maybe what you have to do is doing it for you more than it is for them. Maybe the lack of mercy that you're willing to give is actually holding you back from what God has for you more than it's holding them back or teaching them a lesson. See, each, each and every one of our radius filters are in different places tonight. There's the extreme, there's one extreme over here where it's like, I would do anything for anybody in the whole world, no matter what, whatever I, want, I needed to do, I would do it. And then there's the extreme over here where it's like, Nope, I'm not doing anything for anybody. It's just me. I'm sick of getting hurt. My wall's up. I'm not doing anything. But my hope and my prayer is that each one of you will find yourself somewhere in the middle. It's going to be different for each one of us. Where do you find yourself? Because that point where that line stops is where our pride begins. And pride is one of the things that can be so disguised, something that we hang on to 
and not even know it. See, I'm not talking about when you're in a situation where you don't know what you should do. I'm not talking about when you're in a situation where you can't do something. But I'm talking about when you know there's something that you're supposed to do and you're choosing, not, you're making the choice not to do it. That's what I'm talking about. See, what if our pride is standing in the way of being able to live the life God's called us to? What's the decision you need to make? What's the big decision that you need to make tonight? It could be in a relationship. It could be a relationship with somebody. Like I said, a text, a call, an apology. It could be a habit. It can be a habit that you've held on to for so long. And it's like, finally, enough is enough. You're going to let go of your pride. You're going to let go of this is just the way things are supposed to be. This is just the way I've always done things. Maybe it's a, a decision you need to make. What are you willing to let go of? Because, see, pride is often driven by two things. Arrogance, and not in sort of a cocky way, but, but like, I don't have time to deal with that. My stuff is more important. I have bigger and better things to do than deal with them. And maybe that was the priest and the Levites mentality. I have church stuff to do. Uh, I have a church meeting I need to get to. I don't have time to tend to this guy who's hurting because I have more important things to do. And the other thing that drives our pride is fear. Fear of rejection, fear of failure, fear of what people will think. See, arrogance and fear is what's going to drive that. But you know what? Grasping God's love, grasping how much God loves you, pushes it all out of the way. So I'm going to play a song just for a few minutes, just so that you can, I know it's a lot, and I know it, it came on kind of strong, and, and, and I think it, it, sometimes it takes time to kind of let it sink in and really figure out what is it, that, what's the decision that you need to make? What is it that you need to do? It's almost like God's shining his light in your life. And sometimes, you know, when, you, when your eyes are closed and you walk into a bright light, it takes a second for your eyes to adjust. And so during this song um, that they play, I want, I want you to really think about it. Think about what's the decision that you need to make. What's the application in your life? You're going to hear me say it over and over. This isn't a church where I'm going to tell you what to do. That's way above my pay grade. I don't get paid enough to tell you what to do. But I think if you listen, if you stop and think about it, I think you know what the decision is that you need to make. I think you know what you need to do. I think you know the application that needs to be made in your own life. All I want to do is give you maybe a different perspective, a different way to look at a situation that you're already facing. That's it. That's what 2020 is about. Not to tell you what to do, but maybe just give you a different perspective. Who do you need to show mercy to? Maybe it's this week. Maybe it'll take a couple weeks. Maybe a month. Who do you need to show mercy to? As they play this song, I want you to think about what God's done for you and what decision you need to make.